You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. the podcast. I am your host, Erica Lance. Um, Don't forget to like and subscribe. We want to hear from you. We want to know how much you love us or just addicted to listening to us because we allow you to drink with a reason. Um, My co-host today is the amazing Bo Lake and our guest today from the cult of Dracula is Rich Davis. Hey (laughs) Hey guys, how you doing? Very cool. It's so good to have you. Okay, let's talk about what we're drinking. So I'm technically two fisting it, but one only one of them is alcohol. So I have angry art. Oh, whoa, angry orchard. There's all the words that I have. So how many have you already had today? I, you know what? <laughs> I, I have a very funny story that happened this morning, so I'll share that in a minute. But it explains so much. Um, peach mango hard fruit cider, and then I have. I found these. And I feel very bougie when I drink them. They're Bellevue elderflower lemonades. Mm. So it's it's very good. So with, with hand-picked flowers. So somewhere somebody's hand-picking elderberry flowers, I guess. I don't know. I don't know what's happening. Bo, what are you drinking? I am being lame today, and I am just drinking a Sprite. But it's a Sprite from McDonald's, so it's a little fancier than a normal mm. Sprite. <laughs> I like how McDonald's somehow made something fancy on this it, show. It, okay, so McDonald's has really good fountain drinks. Just so you know, they're the best ever. Ever? Like, do they ever, beat movie ever. theater fountain drinks? Mm, it's close. It's close. Okay. It's okay. Because I was going to say, movie theater th- fountain drinks can be the bomb, especially when you can mix all the shit you want to in it, regardless, and just have something ridiculous. Rich, what are you drinking? I know what you're drinking, but I need you to share that. Yeah, so I didn't know that um, non-alcoholic was an option, so... No, it's um, not an option. She's not feeling well, so I'm letting it slide. (laughs) So I broke out the... uh, I'm a a huge fan of Victorian horror, so what better to drink uh, than absinthe with genuine wormwood? Ooh. Ooh! Yeah. So, so I'll be drinking it mixed with uh, ginger ale and lime and grenadine uh, because, yeah, I've tried to drink that straight before and it's it's pretty intense. So. Yes, very licorice I love absinthe. Very really. licorice yeah. The first time I had it, a friend of mine um, had a bottle that somebody, his grandfather had brought back from Germany. Mm-hmm. So that was the green fairy, like, like the wormwood, like the hallucinogenic, not what you normally can get in the U.S. Yeah. Absinthe. And that was a very interesting pool party after that. <laughs> I bet it was. <laughs> but I love pouring it over the sugar. Like, that's one of my favorite things when I go to Nolens. I'm going to say it correctly. See how I said it correctly? And right. um, do that. But my fun story is I went to get a consultation for a tattoo today. I have many tattoos. But um, it turns out it wasn't actually a consultation. It was, we're doing the tattoo. So I went, I hadn't eaten breakfast. I was going to pop in, have the consultation, go to the grocery store, grab a pub sub, you know, public sub. And uh, that did not happen. Instead, I ended up getting a tattoo and did not eat (laughs) 
So so it's kind of like drinking, you know, blood loss, the whole thing. Cheers. So Rich, tell us about your writing. What do you write? Uh, So I am the writer and creator of Cult of Dracula and the sequel uh, Rise of Dracula from Source Point Press. Uh, They're both comic books. Um, Cult of Dracula was a top 50 best-selling comic of 2021. And then we followed that up with Rise of Dracula last year. Um, Sales numbers haven't come out on that yet, but uh, it sold very well. And um, there's a third volume called Reign of Dracula uh, coming later this year. Um, Those are all from SourcePoint Press. And I have a book coming out from Red 5 Comics uh, called Prometheus in Chains, which is a play on Mary Shelley's Frankenstein set in the post-World War II atomic age. Wow. So um, obviously there's a vampire in your first book. Mm-hmm. So um, what made you go? So when did you first start writing? Let me ask that question. I like it because I think of like 10 questions and I have to stop and ask just one of them. Right. So let's start there. Uh, when did I start writing in general or when did I start writing um, cult? In general. We're going all the way okay. back. It's like a scooby oh, wow. We're going to so, the beginning. Uh, David Copperfield, I was born. Okay. Um, so yeah, uh, I... I started writing, uh, you know, like probably most people who get into this, um, at a young age, I would, I enjoyed writing quite a bit, uh, but I never really, uh, imagined that I could do it for a living, you know, never thought I could make money doing it. So I began writing in earnest, um, back in 20, 2012, 2013. Uh, that's when I started to take it a little more seriously. I'd had some success as a playwright. Um, and also working in the film industry as a screenwriter, uh, mostly as a script doctor. I would fix other people's scripts for them. Um, So that's when I started to see that I had uh, the potential to maybe pursue a career in this. And, uh, you know, so I kind of turned my attention that way and, um, uh, you know, decided uh, writing comic books might be fun. So here I am. So how was that different? Like you've talked about writing in a lot of different um, ways. what is the word I'm looking for? Mediums. Thank you. Medium. I knew it wasn't genre, word. but my drunken gnome in my head kept bringing me the post-it that said genre. And I'm like, that's not the right post-it. And he's like, <laughs> it's same post-it. I'm like, that's okay. Um, so hmm. what I, I've done writing, I've done novelization, I've done plays and I've done screenplays. I've never done mm-hmm. comic books, right? Mm-hmm. But there's, there's something so... Um, similar, but very wildly different when you write in these mediums. So what have you found with that? So um, one thing I've discovered is that writing a comic book is vastly different from dry writing a novelization. Um, it has far more in common with writing a, a play script or a screenplay than it does with writing a novel. Uh, you know, because in a novel, you're going to have, out of necessity, you're going to have paragraphs of exposition and description of the world. Whereas when you're writing for a comic book or a screenplay, you're just writing the picture so that the director of photography or your artist can, you know, uh, translate what you're writing into a pretty picture that makes it onto the page or the screen. Um, So you do have to learn uh, different approaches to writing different, uh, you know, because writing a, you know, writing a screenplay is going to take a different set of skills than writing a novel or writing a comic book. So they're vastly different, but it, when it comes down to storytelling, it, it really just boils down to um, the, the same principal things, you know, have interesting characters, have a coherent plot, 
and give the audience a, a payoff at the end. You know, it, that's just the, that, those are the basic principles of storytelling, really, um, even though there's different ways to get where you're going. Very true. What made you choose Dracula? I see um, the gigantic Star Wars thing behind you. Right. So, and, you know, you, 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 you said um, about your drink, the time period, and all I'm seeing behind you is sci-fi. So, yeah. <laughs> how do we get there? Which is fine. I'll, nerd of all I flavors, a, but. Uh, I'm a man of many interests. So, um, uh, so since I was a kid, um, uh, Dracula has terrified me. Um, I still uh, still have nightmares sometimes of um, of Bella Lugosi's eyes coming out um, of those shadows, and um, that kind of connected because when I when I did Cult of Dracula, the principle was take uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula and combine it with a Manson family inspired cult. Two things that absolutely terrified me, and I still vividly remember watching Helter Skelter as a kid and Charles Manson's eyes just staring at me. So apparently I've got a, uh, some kind of fear of, of eyes um, staring at me from the shadows because both of those things have had a huge impact on what I write. Um, but I have always been obsessed with that Victorian era of horror. Um, in my opinion, I think it's the greatest period of horror uh, in the genre. Um, you know, we, so many of the classic tropes um, and characters that we have recycled and reinterpreted in other works all made their uh, their debuts uh, during that Victorian period. So um, it just always seemed very natural to me. Um, you know, Stephen King very famously said, if you want to write effective horror, uh, write about what scares you. And so, you know, Charles Manson and uh, Count Dracula, they always uh, gave me nightmares. So I decided to give it a go. I, I I think that's awesome and that's fun. So have the nightmares lessened at all since you've been writing about them? No, I think, um, you know, uh, I am <laughs> cursed and blessed with the fact that I have very vivid nightmares. Um, it's a curse because they keep me awake a lot, but it's a blessing because I'm able to uh, interpret those into some fairly entertaining stories. Very cool, very cool. Bo, I know you, you had a promenade of questions available. <laughs> I always do. Um, so I read the first issue and I really loved like hearing Dracula talk and I was like, he's Charles Manson. Like you can hear like the cadence of how he talks. Mm -hmm. um, how did you focus on, because in a comic, you can only use so much dialogue how did you focus on which dialogue you could use in the comic versus like stuff you had to leave unsaid? Yeah, you know, that's that's actually a really great question. And um, this is one thing when I'm talking to people who ask me, you know, how do you write a comic book? How do I budget for it? And um, I always tell people, you're going to think that you can save money uh, by hiring a letterer with less experience, you know, because you're thinking to yourself, a letterer, all they do is just type what I've written into the page. Um, what I've discovered by making the mistake of trying to save money on a letterer um, and having to go back and hire a pro uh, to redo it, which cost me more money, is that a letterer, by the way they lay out the text and the way they set the word balloons and things like that, they can completely change the voice of your character um and the scene that you're that you're talking about when we first meet renfield but he comes in and he's he's very manson he's very much a beat poet uh because when manson spoke 
Manson had this very lyrical quality to his voice. I mean, he was a songwriter, he was a poet. And so I wanted to capture that. It was very important that I got that voice right. And uh, so I worked very, very closely with Dave Lentz, uh, my letterer, uh, who ultimately laid it out just absolutely perfect. I mean, the rhythms of um, of Renfield's voice, they hit all the right notes. And it's just, it's just simply just by the way you space the words out, the, the way you, you, you bold this one or you fade this text, it really does. It just changes the way you hear the character. Um, and, you know, one of the, one of the compliments that, uh, the book has consistently received is the, um, the believability of the characters and the ease of the dialogue. It sounds, uh, you know, like it, it, it belongs. And, uh, you know, that is, you know, even more so than me writing the dialogue, uh, Dave Lentz deserves the credit for laying those, uh, those words out in a way that we can hear them the way they were intended. Mm -hmm. I love how this kind of like stutter down the page as he's yeah. like talking. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really cool because he really did get that rhythm. And um, you know, sometimes I give uh, you know, like lectures or whatever at um universities and things like that about how to write comics. And I use that as an example. I will show them the the page as it was laid out originally by the uh you know by the letterer with no experience and i'll lay it out next to what dave did and it's eye opening the differences and it there's just such small little changes you wouldn't necessarily think they'd make a huge difference but they really do well i think that's true with any you know you're talking about spacing on the page but we talk about this a lot in editing anything and also dialogue and screenplays it's completely mm -hmm. you can you can change in how an entire scene goes depending on the dialogue and how the dialogue is delivered in a scene mm -hmm. right absolutely and it's true with editing you can tighten something up or you can have something droll on where it's a conversation and you're like what is even happening like you're not in the pacing of the situation mm -hmm. so it's very interesting when you when you say you have a new person because i I think that, you know, there is, um, people are naturals at things, of course, but there is a degree of experience or familiar, familiar, familiarity. I can't even say words now. <laughs> the blood um, to be able to do exactly what you said. I think that's, that's, you know, this is when mentoring and stuff comes into play a lot mm -hmm. not just like, I want to be a blah. Right. Cool. Yeah. Have you, you know, when people tell me they're going to write screenplays, I'm like, have you read any screenplays? Like, mm -hmm. go take your favorite movies or TV shows sometimes. You can get them. I mean, they're pretty easy to find on the internet most of the time. Oh, right? yeah. Most of them are out there. Go grab your screenplay. I tell people, I'm like, watch the movie and read the screenplay. Like, watch mm -hmm. and see scene to scene how it says mm -hmm. so you understand how they're delivering that and what the difference is between the director, the director of photography, mm -hmm. the actors and stuff make into it's not just like i'm gonna write a screenplay no it doesn't, doesn't quite work like that generally no there's a lot you know there's a lot more input there's uh it, it you know it takes a village um you know to put these things together uh same with with a comic book you know you're gonna with a comic book you've got your writer you have your artist who's going to do pencils and inks used to you would have a penciler and an inker but nobody does that anymore then you have a colorist and a letterer and an editor, you know, all those people have input on, um, you know, that finished product that comes out. Um, you know, sometimes I think I get way too much credit for the book 
you know, because, um, and my, my creative team can get overlooked sometimes, but they, you know, they, they, just like when making a film, you know, their different artistic perspectives and the way they see things, it all adds to this tapestry that gets woven together for that the audience uh, just sees in, you know, one perfectly packaged box and they don't necessarily know how it all came together. Yeah, no, no, I agree. I agree. Uh, Bo, what else is on your amazing question list, my friend? I don't want to overlook the time and energy you spent doing exactly what I don't do on this show. <laughs> what drew you specifically to comics of all the things you could write? Yeah, that that's an awesome question because I kind of got into this um, a little bit by... Uh, I don't want to know if I want to say accident, but I will say it was a very long and winding road to get here. Um, I started writing, uh, started Cult of Dracula as a stage play. Um, it was back then called Dracula Reimagined, and um, we performed it at the Browncoat Pub and Theater in Wilmington, North Carolina. It ran for a month of sold out shows. It was nominated for seven uh, North Carolina theater awards. It won two of them, which I was really neat. Um, and afterward, uh, you know, I didn't want to let um, the project go. I, I wanted to do something else with it. And I had been working in the film industry at the time. And so I started thinking, well, why don't I try to adapt this into a screenplay? And, you know, at the time, you know, Netflix and Shudder and all the other networks were throwing tons of money at new intellectual property. So, you know, you could take and make um, a horror film for, you know, five, six hundred thousand dollars and turn it into a streaming success. So that was our original intention to start working on that. Uh, I became very good friends with Tony Todd, um, the actor who played Candyman. Um, and he had, he's been a, a very strong mentor for me in developing this project. And um, unfortunately, while we were working on the film, um, my wife became very ill. Um, and so I gave up on the project because I knew with her illness that I couldn't devote the time and the resources uh, necessary to make an independent film. So I just gave up on it and I actually deleted it. Um, so that I wouldn't be tempted to go back to it. And Amber got so pissed at me. Uh, she's never in my life been angrier. Uh, I mean, she ripped me up and down the walls, called me everything but a nice guy. Um, and, you know, she she came down, you know, we came to a compromise. You know, she understood why we couldn't, why I didn't want to go try to do a film. But she's like, well, why don't you try writing it as a comic book? And I started thinking, I was like, you know, it's a screenplay and a comic script are very similar. I know enough people in the comic book industry, you know, maybe they'll be willing to help me. And thankfully, a lot of them were. Uh, Georges Genty, um, you know, was a, a huge help to me in advising me how to go forward. Um, so, yeah, you know, we got here kind of by accident on kind of a winding road. And it took some really cool people pushing me at the right times. But, you know, here we are. And I don't regret it at all. Mm -hmm. Well, that's cool. That That's very awesome. Um, I hope your wife is doing better. Unfortunately, she passed away in 2020. Oh, I am very sorry for your loss. Then. That's okay. You couldn't have known, but thank you. I appreciate that. Yes. Um, I. So you have a novel coming out. Um, is this your first like full fiction work like that? Like a full novelization of something? I think you got me mixed up with someone else. I don't I don't write full novelizations. Oh, I thought you said you had, is it another comic coming out? It is, yeah, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Oh, okay, okay. It's another that's, comic book, yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's why, they're right there. <laughs> that's okay. 
Um, but yeah, so it's it, like, go ahead. So you go ahead. You explain it. I was going to ask. Oh, uh, so uh, the next comic uh, that I have is coming out from Red 5 Comics, um, and it's called Prometheus in Chains. Uh, it's a play on Mary Shelley's Frankenstein set in the post-World War II atomic age. Uh, in this world, Victor and Elizabeth uh, are among the brilliant scientists who fled Germany and came to the United States to work on the Manhattan Project to uh, develop the bomb and uh, hopefully overthrow the Reich. And um, so it's been a really, really fun story to tell. Um, fun is kind of a, a hard word because, um, you know, the, the book mirrors my own experience with uh, losing my wife. Um, it deals with PTSD and depression. Victor uh, feels guilty for creating the bomb, which has caused so much death and destruction. But he also feels that guilt on a very personal level, because while working on the project um, and due to exposure of ra to radiation, Elizabeth develops cancer and dies. And so the book, while it is your classic Frankenstein story, all the things that you expect that you know and love in Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, they're all going to be there. But it's repackaged and presented in a much more personal uh, way the 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 creature becomes a metaphor for Victor's grief um, and uh, just like when I you know when Cult of Dracula came out I told people no matter how well you know Bram Stoker's story I promise you you have no idea where Cult of Dracula is going I can make that same claim very confidently with uh, Prometheus in Chains no matter how well you know Frankenstein I promise you you have no idea where this book's going and are you intending on having, so you have three of the Dracula, correct? Mm -hmm. are, you, are you intending on having three of the Frankenstein? That is something that is currently up for discussion. Um, initially, when I was writing Prometheus and Chains, I intended it to be a six issue, um, one and done, six, six issues and that's it. Um, but as I've been telling this story, um, the characters have informed me that they've gotten they have other stories that they want to tell. So we're kind of at a crossroads on where to go with uh, Prometheus because um, initially I intended six issues, but I've written, when I, when I wrapped up the script for issue five, I was like, wow, this is the perfect cliffhanger ending if I want to leave it here and do another five issue volume. So we're, I'm talking to the creative team, Jordan Dorenzo, my artist, uh, he and I are going, we're discussing it about whether or not we want to just, we want to tell this story in six and maybe do a second volume, or if we want to wrap it in five and absolutely do a second volume. So it really is going to come down to whether or not we feel like we can tell an effective story that doesn't drag on um you know if we can if we can come up with an interesting story to tell to justify another five issues then we're going to go for it but if it's just you know if we're just making extra issues to sell books you know i, I don't really want to do that um you know we've got more um integrity in what we write than that hmm, that's very cool so i'm assuming you've taken these um uh, books to uh, conventions, nerd, mm -hmm. nerd cons, as I'd like to sure. call them. my favorite place to be with my my people. How, what has that been like? That's been fantastic. Um, you know, it's uh, going from being, you know, just, a, you know, just a few years ago, I was just a dumb kid bouncing around, 
conventions and cosplay and wanting to meet everybody and you know and then now a couple years later to be um you know to be a guest at these conventions is pretty it's pretty fantastic um you know i'm very fortunate i was able um my comic uh, i had a little bit easier road than some people in the indie world because i was able to get my comic released by a major publisher um i didn't have to put in all those years of kind of hustling at the conventions to get noticed um i somehow managed to skip that step um but i do love going to conventions and bringing my books introducing new people to my books and the the coolest feeling is seeing people who have already purchased the book and already read it they are waiting for me um the the bit the first big convention i did was megacon in orlando um oh. yeah it was fantastic and um, I was there and I got lost. If you've ever been to Megacon, it's on this just scrawling. Oh yeah, I've been to Megacon several times. So you know how big the thing is. It just goes everywhere. And I'd never been, I was lost. I ended up going to the complete wrong building and I end up, I'm rolling into Megacon. I'm like, I'm like two hours late um, to get there. And so I'm walking in, I've got my coffee, you know, I'm looking and I'm like, wow. You know, I see Source Point Press booth and I'm like, man, they, they got a good crowd there wow, I wonder who they're waiting for. And as I get closer, um, I'm like, oh shit, they're waiting for me. And like, there was like a line of people that had been waiting for me for like an hour, hour and a half. And I felt on one hand, I felt so bad that I'd kept them waiting. I was like, I was profusely apologizing. But on the other hand, I was like, it's kind of cool that they've been waiting for like an hour, hour and a half for me to get here. I mean, that that is that that's a weird feeling. And I don't know that I'll ever get used to the fact that, you know, that there are people out there who already uh, not only are aware of my work, but are aware of it and have consumed it and have enjoyed it. Um, that's a that's a really cool and weird feeling. No, I agree 100%. And we have to take a quick break, but we're going to do more on fans when we come back. So we will be right back with Drinking With Authors. Welcome to Earth Station Trek, a show that talks about Star Trek from the early days on NBC to the future on Paramount Plus and everywhere in between. We cover topics like Star Trek versus reality. Did the board get better or worse? Finding the good in bad episodes. Pop culture in Trek. Star Trek pets. Vulcan romance. Religion and Trek. Umox for fun and pleasure. Kirk versus Picard. And why Cisco is better. Plus reviews of all the latest episodes. Check us out on your favorite podcast platform or the ESO network. Our sponsor today on Drinking with Authors is Skunk Brothers Spirits. Skunk Brothers Spirits was started by a family of disabled veterans focused on locally sourced quality distilled spirits. Their name was inspired by their pops, who was nicknamed Skunk. Skunk's father was a moonshiner in Oregon back when it wasn't exactly legal. Now the brothers are taking the family business legal with their Washington-based team using their grandfather's Prohibition-era moonshine recipe to bring small batch spirits to the gorge and beyond. From the moonshine corn whiskey to the apple pie brandy, all of their spirits are handmade in Washington. Believing they already have the best ingredients in the local community, they work with local farmers and suppliers to produce the highest quality spirits from scratch. You can find them on Facebook at Skunk Brothers and on Twitter at Skunk Bros Inc. 
or visit their site www.skunkbrotherspirits.com and use coupon code DWA10 at checkout to read 10% off your order. You can always also ask your local retailer to start stocking Skunk Brother Spirits. Regardless of how you get your hands on a bottle or two, grab a drink and don't forget to get skunk. Okay, we're back. So what was it um, like the first time you signed your comic or somebody came up to you about your comic? We got to go to the go back to the beginning. Yeah, you know, it, I, I hate to keep using the word surreal, but it's really the only word that fits. Um, it is, it's just so trippy to be sitting there as a person who you know, I, I went to conventions. I I went and got uh, you know my favorite creators, artists, writers uh, to sign things for me. So I know from that perspective, I know how much it means to someone to be able to do that. So to have someone come up to me and you know be so connected with my work that they want me to put my signature on it. Um, you know, I joke and, you know, tell people, oh yeah, you know, it makes it, uh, you know, makes it even cooler that my signature's on it, but, you know, to them, it really does. And, um, I love being able to have those interactions with people. I've had some fantastic conversations with, um, with, you know, for lack of a better word, fans still sounds weird to say that I have fans, but, um, I've had some really good conversations and, you know, um, it, it's really refreshing um, and humbling when you know people have connected with the work and they tell me that it's helped them through something um you know because uh, even you know in cult and rise of dracula they're not it's not a heavy theme in there but we do deal with um you know things like uh loss and grief and uh, uh you know addiction and unrequited love all those things that can cause very heavy um feelings that we can all relate to um so yeah it's really nice when people find um something to identify with in the book and something that really touched their lives it's just it's a cool really cool experience that's very very cool what's your weirdest fan experience i'm gonna let bo go down some more um, we've so, all had weird fan experiences so what's your weird one um Pro okay, so the probably the weirdest one, other than this, um, other than this one fan who follows me to like every convention. Um, I mean, that's not weird. It's just it's interesting that this person, you know, follow goes to like every convention I go to, and she's she's really she loves the books, and you know, she's a really nice person. Um, but that's a it's a little strange. But I get the probably the weirdest thing, and um, women out there, I'm sure you'll be able to relate to this a lot more than guys will. Um, but uh, and thankfully, this is an adult podcast, so um, I have on several occasions received the um, the 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 male equivalent of a dick pic, um, which is very weird to have. Uh, you know, just you just open your you know open up your your DMs or whatever, and like, hey, she's naked and has my book and apparently loves it, but why, why are you sending me, you know, this? And it's, you know, Hey, I'm a guy. It's, it's, it's not, it's attractive, but to have it just 
thrown in your DMs without any notice. I mean, like, and every woman listening to this podcast is like, okay, yeah, it must be Tuesday. Um, but yeah, so having never experienced that before, um, and now to have had it happen several times, it, it, it's a, it's a bit strange because I don't know. I'm I'm just not really I'm not that guy, you know. No, well, and you you see how some stars can <laughs> you know get into that sort of thing. And oh yeah, gets, yeah. I no. mean, because I've had, you know, comparatively, I have had a relatively minor level of success here. You know, I've, I've, I've got two books out. That's it. There are a lot of people out there that have done way more. And, um, but yeah, I can see how, you know, someone with a more established reputation that this happens to on a regular basis, I could see how they could be tempted to kind of go to the dark side and eat the cookies. Yeah, I- you know, sometimes if you're in the right frame of mind, cookies can be good. Exactly. Other yeah. times you discover that when you go to the dark side, there aren't actually cookies. Yeah. I used to say that all the time at my my corporate job. I'd be like, "Come to the dark side. We have cookies." And one of the <laughs> one of my favorite quotes. Like, don't listen to her. She does not give you cookies. <laughs> like, That's not accurate. Very accurate. Okay. Um, Bo, I'm sorry. I said I would let you ask questions. I'm going to have some more of my cider with my tattoo. You ask away. All right. So I'm curious, what is your favorite horror trope? Ooh. Ooh. Um, hmm. I mean, the easiest one, because I am a huge fan of uh, the 70s grindhouse era. era. Yeah. See, a couple of these and I start to slur my a little bit. Um, I'd say my favorite trope would be the um, the last girl, you know, how um, it, most, especially slasher films, they always come down to, you know, to one badass female, whether it's, you know, it's Lori or it's Nancy from uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, that, so that I think that's probably my favorite trope because there have been some really amazing characters and some really amazing performances come out of those. So being the, the scream queen, the last girl, I think that's a that's a pretty cool trope. What is your least favorite trope? Uh, everything else. <laughs> um, that's oh, wow. cheating. That, aw, you didn't say I couldn't cheat. <laughs> that's true. I just said it was um, cheating. I didn't say right. to stop what you were doing. Yeah. Uh, hmm. I'm having a hard time thinking of like my 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 least favorite trope. Um, yeah, I'm just going to take a pass on that one because I can't really think of one right now. I'm sorry. Um, so yeah, just everything else except for the last girl. So this is going to almost relate to that question. How okay. do you deal with writer's block? <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. So um, writer's block, is, it's it's a curse that we all suffer. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've sat in my office and just watched that little cursor blink and taunt me for hours. Um so what I've learned is um, it's kind of a boring approach, but it works. Um, I found that when when I put myself into the position to have the opportunity to create, I'm more likely to create. So even if I'm being blocked, even if I don't have a damn thing on my mind, I still keep uh, office hours. You know, I'm in my office Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 1 p.m., whether I've got something or not. And so I have found that the best way to get through writer's block is, you know, to just put yourself in the position to break through. And then, you know, um, other times, you know, things like this help. 
So, you know, sometimes <laughs> you just got to open up those creative juices and try something, uh, something a little bit different. Well, I got to jump in and ask a question. Have you done true drunk writing in this? I'm going to have you answer this too. So I um, write both horror and I write uh, humorous erotica. And I've, you know, gotten a bottle of wine and thought, okay, cool. I'll just drink a bottle of wine while I'm sitting here writing. And then the next day I go and you can tell the exact mark difference as the drunkenness appears. You're like, oh, this is where I was and this is where drunk me showed up. Yeah, exactly. Like I can see it in the manuscript. Like, okay, cool, cool story. You're like, oh, I really did have a lot to drink yesterday, didn't I? Yeah. You know, not blackout drunk, but definitely thinking I was like, I was super creative. I was in the room. And then I'm like, no, I wasn't. Then you read it and you're like, oh, drinking doesn't necessarily make me more creative. It just makes me more free to put down whatever craziness came into my head. It just put it put the editor on um, um, on suspension for an hour or two. Yeah, exactly. No, that's exactly what happened. And I'm like, where was I even going with this? So what about you? Did you, have you ever done that? I have not. Uh, I've never done like full on. I'm not a huge drinker. Um, I owned a bar for many years. And after you watch people make the worst decisions of their lives every single night, um, you know, it, it, it tempers you a bit. So um, I've never done full-on drunk writing, but I, I I will absolutely cop to having a having a drink every now and then to kind of jostle my brain and help me to write. No, that makes sense. And I'm not. I'm trust me. I'm not. As much as I have this podcast, I'm not advocating <laughs> go get drunk and do that. I just was like, you know, cool <laughs> bottle of wine, some cheese. You're like, I'm in the booth, and then I'm like, wow. When I go back and look, what about you, Bo? I have actually never done that, but I've started doing like really down and dirty writing sprints just to like get out of my head and just like bash the keyboard for like a good 30 minutes. And there's something really freeing about just vomiting it all out, even if it's not good. Yep. So I could see wanting to like have a little liquor to make it go down a little smoother. <laughs> no, I, I think it's... It, it's definitely interesting. I, I, one of the guests on the podcast um, used to write in a bar. That's where he did his writing. Mm. I thought that was it. And not that he went and drank the entire time, but he'd go because he wanted to have the ambiance of the bar. It's a great place to writing. people watch. Yeah. No, and, COVID um, changed people watching for us, didn't it? That it did. <laughs> and uh, Joss Whedon actually used to, uh, he probably still does, uh, but when he's writing a screenplay, he goes to the same restaurant, sits in the same booth, orders a uh, orders a bottle of white wine, and writes as he uh, as he just enjoys it. And he said he says he's gotten some ideas for some amazing characters just watching other people interact in the restaurant. So, so you know. I agree with that. That's one of my main things in both of the genres I write because I write horror as well, and it's. I get so much from people watching because I watch interactions and stuff and then go, how could this go horribly wrong? Like, <laughs> I mean, it's a horror writer. I'm like, how could this end badly? Like, and some of my best stories are based on watching people's interactions. Mm -hmm. right no, sure. Yeah. Okay, Bo, continue, my, my friend. <laughs> Is there a genre you want to try to write but are afraid to? I um, I would love to somehow write a um, 
a rom-com comic you know a romantic comedy that would be i don't know that would that would just be fun because you know i i will confess i have a i have a deep deep deeply hidden um love of romantic comedy movies um i don't know it's really the only genre of comedy that i like so um that would be very interesting to write but i don't know um, sometimes you get pigeonholed into, you know, like Jim Carrey, for example, everybody always wanted Ace Ventura. So they never even gave him a chance in the number 23 or the Majestic or the Truman Show. And while those movies were hit or miss, uh, Jim Carrey's performance was brilliant, but people rejected it because it wasn't um, Ace Ventura. So, I, you know, I my fear would be, you know, to branch out into something like a romantic comedy would be um you know would my fan base accept that you know would they um would they still show up to follow what i'm writing um or would they completely reject it because you know as fun as it would be to write one of those um this ultimately is a business and you know this is how i put food on the table so you gotta you gotta do a little bit of fan service yeah i will tell you from jeff strand who writes horror and wrote a comedy a romantic comedy book called kumquat actually (laughs) And he put it out under his Jeff Strand name and all of his fans were like, what the hell is this? Like mm-hmm. that, that was a thing. So I think there are certain things like if you went to do that, you'd probably have to do a different pen name. You could still say it's you, but mm-hmm. your fans will hit the buy button and then go. Cause I think one of the reviews that was really funny was this was really well written and really funny, but Jeff Strand writes horror. Like, <laughs> So I think there are definitely streams that cannot be as easily crossed. Yeah. You know, uh, unless like you, you could do, you could do horror comedy and that would be fine. But, you know, I don't know how they would react to like a straight up, uh, you know, how to lose a guy in 10 days rom-com, you know, I don't know. Well, it depends know. on who's in it. Um, are you going to have like Medusa? I think you, <laughs> yeah. you should do a how to lose a guy in 10 days, but have like the horror sirens in it. How to lose a guy in 10 days and kill him. Yeah. I, you might have just given me the seed for uh, for a, a future comic book. That would be. I want a signed copy. Is all I request. So, okay. We can make that happen. We yeah, can make that but happen. I, I think you could do something like that in your fans because I think comedy and horror, like, they do straddle a certain thing, and I think mm-hmm. fans are huge. You know, they'd be totally down for that as long as that element. And you could do so much fun things with something like that because you don't see that a lot. You don't see the horror, the comedy aspects into things. And especially if you grabbed a normal romantic comedy trope, mm-hmm. like somebody has to be a vet of some kind in some uh-huh. obscure place. Like, oh, sure. You know, and there has to be snow for some odd reason. All Christmas, the Christmas the yeah. Christmas. Oh, Christmas horror is the Christmas best. Hallmark horror. Oh, yeah. Now, see, that's oh, now that would be fun to set a horror movie inside of a Hallmark set because I have <laughs> I've actually worked on the sets of some of those Hallmark movies, so I know the ins and outs a little bit. So there you go, done and done. Your romantic. I think we just wrote this. Hair. I think we just wrote yeah. this thing. Okay, yeah. Yes, <laughs> that, would that would be amazing. Look at how creative we are. We've only had a little bit. <laughs> Bo. I'm looking at my questions. Okay, I wasn't sure. You're so organized. <laughs> I know I'm always so organized. You are. If you had to fan cast a Cult of Dracula movie, who would be in it? 
Uh, hold on. I actually have this um, because we uh, we had to do this at a panel um, one time. So um, let me let me find that real quick because uh, I have a very detailed fan cast. Um, <laughs> if I can. Uh, if I can remember where I saved it on my phone with um, with all of this, uh, come on. I know this is very um, interesting radio, right? No, <laughs> you know I, my favorite is when somebody just stops talking altogether, and then I have to go. We we're still in the air, peeps. We're just You're thinking like, what? <laughs> <laughs> um, dun, dun, dun. So, yeah. So. Um, yeah, it's hard to remember the actors' names. I can see their faces. So with a few uh, few shots there, it's like, what are their names? Um, so I would start with, um, for Van Helsing, I would absolutely cast um, Lee Turgeson. Um, I first saw him on a show called Oz for HBO. He's been on a ton of other things uh, since then. Um, and I, I just think he's a brilliant actor for someone like Van Helsing, especially my Van Helsing, who's a little less, um, moral than, you know, you might sometimes expect for a Van Helsing character. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I think he would be just absolutely perfect. Um, there's a, um, hold on, I'm finding her name. Cause I don't want to, I butchered it once in another interview and I don't want to do that again. Um, <clears throat> But uh, her name's Paola, Paola Gonzalez um, from the television series The Purge. Um, she would be a perfect uh, Mina. I mean, absolutely would nail Mina. Um, and um, who else would I cast? Uh, I, like I said, I had this whole darn thing broken down. We did, it, we did a whole social media thing about it. My, Who's Renfield? Uh, Renfield actually is an actor who comes from uh, a show called Britannia. Um, it's an Amazon um, show, and I want to make sure I get his name right um, as well. Some of what's funny is some of these actors um, we've actually had conversations with because there's an animated uh, version of Cult of Dracula in the works. So <clears throat> we talked to some of these actors about um, uh, voicing. Um, so I'd love to have Mackenzie Crook uh, play Renfield. Um, I first saw him on Britannia. Uh, he was in Pirates of the Caribbean as well. Um, just absolutely uh, brilliant, uh, brilliant actor. And he's got that, he's got that kind of that smarmy, uh, sleazy, Manson-like feel to him. So um, I would love to see him in that role. Um, and then um, another one that I had very strongly uh, in my head um, is uh, Lucy. Lucy is my favorite character. Um, and, um, Lily, um, she played Catwoman, um, originally on Gotham, and I think she would be absolutely perfect for, um, uh, uh, for Lucy. Are you talking about the, um, younger girl? Yes. Well, she was young back then. She, no, I know um, she's older now, but that's, yeah. I'm just. Yeah. She was originally Selena Kyle. Um, she, they replaced her later on with someone else. Um, I'm looking up her name uh so because i hate i hate doing that when i have them and um and then forget uh what is her name lily and it's paula nunez not gonzalez that's what i did last time was butchering that um and I watched the the TV series The Purge and just I could I could have cast like so many um, 
actors just from that. But L um, Lily Simmons. Lily Simmons, thank you. That is her. I love I love her poise. I love the way she she has a nice little humor, um, but it's very understated humor. So I really enjoy um, her performance. I'd love to work with her one day. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Well, who's your favorite um, uh, person to meet? I do this as well. So when I go to conventions, I actually have a friend that draws caricatures mm -hmm. of me and whoever I'm going to get to sign something in my favorite scenes for movies. So like I did Jeff Goldblum in Earth Girls Are Easy. Nice. Nice. I would, yeah, Jeff Goldblum would be a fantastic person to meet. Um, I think the most impressive person that I've ever met um, that just stunned me being able to meet him was Edward James Olmos. Um, I met him at Dragon Con many years okay. ago. Um, and I, actually, it might have been my first Dragon Con that I attended. Uh, but he uh, he was there, the whole Battlestar Galactica crew was okay. there because BSG was, you know, the, the hot thing um, at the time. And I was actually working in radio. Uh, and so I was there to get interviews with people. And I'd interviewed a couple of the other um, celebrities that were there. And when I came up to Edward James Olmos's table, um, you know, I had an appointment with him to interview him. And I walked up to him and just being in his presence, I was like, I literally talk for a living and I have no idea what to say to you right now. And he just looked up at me, he smiled and he said, you're doing fine. And I was like, Admiral Adama just told me I'm doing fine. <laughs> and so then the interview went very well after that. So, but that that was probably my my most fun um, celebrity experience, being able to, to meet Edward James Olmos. And just, I mean, as you can tell, I'm a very shy person. So, uh, you know, it's hard to get anything out of me. Um, oh yeah, that's him, resonating, resonating my friend. Right. <laughs> but, you know, for him, you know, to, for him to just stun me and leave me speechless, people who know me are like, wow, somebody actually shut you up. <laughs> We've been paying people money for years to try that. Right? And it's never worked. <laughs> what was your, so who was somebody that you, um, you were also super excited to meet, like just for yourself, not because of anything else, but like somebody that you, you've sort of fanboyed over? Yeah. Um, when I met Summer Glau, uh, that was, that was really cool. Um, and I actually, actually met her also at Dragon Con. Um, in an elevator. Um, so uh, apparently we were both apparently we were both staying at the at the Hilton and we were both staying on the same floor because every day, um, you know, the first day I was, you know, got on the elevator, it's like stupid early in the morning, because again, I'm working radio at the time. And I'm just stunned because Summer Glau got onto the same elevator that I did and it was just the two of us and then every single day we must have had to be somewhere at exactly the same time because we ended up sharing the elevator um, every morning and so the the last day on Sunday um, I uh, uh, bless you um, I went and got um, I went downstairs to the Starbucks and got up early and um, I got her coffee because we've been talking about what she likes to drink and so I just brought it and you know and gave her the coffee on that you know that last day and it's like you know Summer and I we had we had a moment there. <laughs> I think that's fantastic I think yeah. it, you know you said to your point you hope you never get used to the the fan thing. I think that's amazing. And I love it when celebrities remember that fact and remember who it was that put them there and who it was that keeps them there. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, I do too. 
Because if you ever get to the point where you don't, like, I, I had a friend that, um, and I don't even remember his name, and I'm not going to give him the police for this, but he was a, like, side character on Stargate Atlantis or something mm. like that. And he's at Megacon, and Jason Momoa was there. Um, that's where I got uh, Jeff Goldblum's signature. So there were some pretty big names at this Megacon, right, Orlando. And she saw this and it was her first experience ever. She was doing a table with me with books and I'm like, go get his signature and stuff like that. So she walked up and so she left, she came back and she looked like somebody had punched her in the face. And I was like, oh my God, what happened? And she's like, she walked up, there was nobody at this guy's table. She walked up, he took like a couple minutes to even look up at her mm. and then was like, what? And then she was like, oh, can I get your autograph? And he was like, yeah, it's, it's 20 bucks or something. I forget what he said. Come on. And then he he grabbed it, signed it, and kind of almost threw it at her. That's awful. So I literally was like, I'll be right back. I literally walked over. I, I had no problem. I was like, hi, so my friend just came over here. I don't know who the fuck you think you are but you're a D-list actor with no line here. And she was a fan who is now not a fan because you're terrible behavior. Like I- Wow. Down <laughs> completely. And he was like, he was trying to like, and I'm like, don't say a fucking word to me because you literally do not even have the right to be here. And you will find very quickly that those are the kind of people that want to support you. And if you alienate them, they're not going to give a shit what you're in. Mm -hmm. And like, I walked away. But it pissed me off so bad because I'm like, who do you think you are? Like, right. you know, I, I, I don't all like of you into the bathroom the or something like. That's awful. Yeah, I don't I don't I don't get people who mistreat others. And I definitely don't get, um, you know, creators, celebrities, whatever, who mistreat their fans because, uh, you know, and again, I have achieved very little compared to a lot of folks, but you know, we're only here, we're only able to do this because you're reading it or you're watching it. So, you know, I don't, I don't get being, being rude to people who just want to tell you they appreciate what you did. Yeah, no, I agree a hundred percent. Okay, Bo, I'm going to let you have the final question, my darling. Oh, oh and I found my, uh, I did find my entire fan cast, if you want to get back. Oh, to okay. Okay. Yes. Go for it now. <laughs> They're oh, desperately looking for this. <laughs> so, um, uh, Paola Nunez, I would love for her to play Mother Dracula. Uh, Tony Todd um, absolutely has to be Agent Brom. Um, Sarah Shahi from uh, the, it's a show on Netflix called Sex Life. It's brilliant. Um, I'd love for her to play Mina. Um, Lily Simmons, we already talked to her about, um, about Lucy. Lee Turgeson um, as, uh, excuse me, um, Van Helsing um Mackenzie Crook um as Renfield um and maybe the the biggest surprise that mo you know most people um you know don't recognize him uh but there's an actor uh, called Jacob Elordi um I saw him on uh, HBO's Euphoria yeah he, you know him he's really really good um he's and so very good. very understated he's got this everyman quality about him that I would love uh to see in uh in Jonathan um, and then for Arthur, uh, Damson Idris from uh, Snowfall um, on FX. I would love to see him play Arthur. And I think he, he and Jacob Elordi would play very well together 
um, as Jonathan and uh, and Arthur in a, in a you know film or television adaptation. Very very cool. Okay, Bo. What is the hardest part about being a writer? The hardest part about being a writer. Um, I honestly, I want to say it's, uh, and it, it's probably mostly um, self-inflicted, but I'd say living up to the expectations of, uh, of your fan base and, you know, trying to, you know, because now that I actually have, you know, a substantial following reading my books, um, you know, I feel like I owe them something. And so trying to give them what I know they want and the characters that I know they want to see and, you know, things like that, trying to keep that balance of giving those characters the, the spotlight that they deserve, but not letting them overtake the story. So not letting fan expectation dictate um, the, the, the final project, I, I guess. Is, so that, that, I think that's the most difficult thing is to know when you're staying true to the story and when you're just trying to give people what they want. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Okay, shameless self promotion time. Oh, um, I think I've pretty much self promoted everything. Um, I know, but, but it's your social tags and stuff, and how to reach uh, you. Okay, <laughs> that's a good question. Okay, that's a better way to phrase it. Actually, I like that. Um, so yeah, I am just cult of Dracula comic on everything. Um, so, uh, that's uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I don't use Twitter. Twitter terrifies me. Um, and it makes me even more afraid now that Elon Musk owns it. Um, so, but there is a Twitter account. Um, that's probably the only social media that if you interact with it on Twitter, it's probably not going to be me responding. Um, Facebook, Instagram, if you reach out to me on there, I always reply to people as much as I can. Um, I get to everybody eventually. Sometimes it just takes me a while. Very cool. Okay. And your next book is coming out when? Uh, it will be out on Free Comic Book Day, uh, which is uh, the first Saturday in May of 2023. Very, very, very cool. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Absolutely. Guys, this has been Drinking with Authors. I have been your host, Erica Lance. My co-host today has been Bo Lake. Our amazing guest is Rich Davis. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and review. We'd love to hear what you think of us, and we'll see you next time. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.